I invite you to take your Bibles and to turn with me to the New Testament, to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. One Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is proving the resurrection to the Corinthians. We'll read from verse 1 to 23. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then, also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. So far the reading from 1 Corinthians 15. Let's also turn to the book of Romans chapter 6. In Romans 6, Paul is talking about the union that we have with Christ because we belong to him in our body and soul. And so we're united to him also in his death and resurrection. Let's read Romans 6, verse 1 to 11. What shall we say then? 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How can we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who died, has died, has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So far from the book of Romans. Our catechism lesson this afternoon is from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 17. So we've been going through the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is explaining the different things that that we believe as as Christians. Last week we we saw that Jesus was crucified and and what that meant. And there was part of his humiliation. He came to earth as a man and then he was crucified on the cross. That was the extent of his humiliation. And now this week we'll see his exaltation. In Lord's Day 17, Christ's resurrection. Let's read that together. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death, so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. And third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious Resurrection. So this afternoon we get to dig into the glorious truth of the resurrection. And perhaps you noticed as we were reading through the catechism this afternoon that it doesn't actually deal with the fact or the event of the resurrection. The question says, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? It doesn't ask us about what happened or what do you believe concerning the resurrection, but it says, how does it benefit us? So we just jump straight into the benefits. But this afternoon, it's worth spending some time, first of all, looking at the fact of the resurrection. And it's worth doing that for two reasons. The first reason is that this fact of Jesus' resurrection, it's a truth which has been greatly challenged since the time that the Catechism was written. People would say, it's not possible There's no way that Jesus could have risen from the dead. It's a made-up story. Everyone knows that no one can start breathing again after they're dead. 
and the resurrection cannot be scientifically proven. And so many people have just concluded that it never happened. Scientifically impossible. The truth of the resurrection has been greatly challenged since the Catechism's written. But second, it's also worth looking at the fact of the resurrection because it's such a foundational truth for our faith. We read from 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that if Christ isn't risen, your faith is futile. If we can only have hope in Christ for this life and not in the life to come, then we of men, all men, are the most pitiable, says Paul. So then what we're doing here this afternoon, if we're coming together and worshipping God, if Jesus isn't alive, then it's all a waste of time. In fact, it's pitiable, says Paul. If Jesus isn't alive, then the time that we spend reading God's word and praying, all of that is a waste of time if, if Christ hasn't risen. And you can see it's a foundational truth for our faith, and we need to be convinced of the truth of the resurrection. But God's word shows to us that this foundational truth is one of the most well-attested facts of history. The risen Lord is the firm foundation for our faith. Our faith is not futile, but it is built upon the sure foundation of God's word, which clearly teaches us that Jesus is alive. Let's see, first of all, the evidence in the Apostle Paul. This morning we heard about his miraculous conversion. Along that road to Damascus, Paul saw Jesus the bright light that flashed all around him, the voice that said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. What Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8, he says, last of all, he appeared to me. So Jesus appeared to Paul. And what a change this made to Saul. And it may sound obvious, but the fanatical persecutor of Jesus' name would not have become a foremost proponent of his name if he was making up a story about Jesus rising from the dead. No, Saul saw him alive, and that was a reality that changed him. It wasn't a story that he made up. This reality compelled Paul to to preach Christ instead of persecute him. It compelled him to give up everything that he'd gained in that prestigious school of the Pharisees for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. The reality of the resurrection... It compelled him to go through all sorts of suffering, to be beaten multiple times, imprisoned, shipwrecked, stoned, and much more. You know, think of Paul being stoned just outside the city of Lystra. He'd been preaching Jesus, and then the Jews came, and they stoned him out of the city until he was almost dead. And just think, as those stones rained upon him, as angry men held them at him, Paul wouldn't have done that for a made-up message. No, it's ludicrous. Instead, as the stones beat against his flesh and nearly took his life away, Paul knew that he had an eternal life they could never take away. Paul knew that Jesus was alive and that he would live one day forever with him. That truth of the resurrection, that made all the suffering he endured worth it. It made it worth all the suffering he endured So the resurrection was more than a doctrine that he intellectually assented to, but it was something that changed his life. He knew Jesus was alive. And as he says in 1 Corinthians 15, it's one of the things of first importance. 
And so the life of Paul is evidence that Jesus really did rise from the dead. This is supported by all sorts of other evidence. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 5, he, he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. And then after that, he was seen by over 500 brothers and sisters at once. And most of these 500 brothers and sisters were still alive. And this is not the sort of claim that Paul could have made if it wasn't true. Because the Corinthians, they could have found these brothers and sisters. They could have went up to them and said, hey, did you see Jesus? And these 500 brothers and sisters would have said, yes, we saw him. He's alive. This is not the sort of claim that Paul could have made if it wasn't true. The resurrection really happened. It's a sure foundation on which our faith stands. This is also the the truth that the apostles were witnessing with great power in Acts 4. We heard about that a few weeks ago, if you were with us. It was a truth which changed the life of Saul. It formed the foundation of his ministry, and it was a truth which changed all of the apostles and was the foundation of the early church. As we dig into this Lord's Day this afternoon, we'll see what God's Word teaches us about the resurrection, that it's also the foundation of our lives, of our faith. We live in the victory of our risen Savior. And we'll first of all see that his victory is a victory over death. The Catechism says, how does the resurrection benefit us? He has first overcome death. Now death, brothers and sisters, is is everywhere in the world. I'm sure boys and girls that you've seen a flower dying you, you might pick a flower for your mum and then put it in a glass of water. At first, the flower looks lovely, but soon you notice that the petals start to fall off, the bright colors fade, and the flower dies. Perhaps you've had a pet cat or a pet dog that has also died. It doesn't just happen to pets or to flowers. Humans are not immune from this disease either. Is a much repeated refrain in the Bible, in fact, in the history of the world. Genesis 5 is a genealogy. At the end of every life, we read these words, and he died. Even Lazarus, Lazarus who was raised from the dead, even he eventually returned to the grave. And brothers and sisters, I'm sure you can all remember the funeral of someone you loved. Laying the body of your dad or your mum, your uncle, your grandparent, your sister or your brother, perhaps even your own son or daughter, the the person you knew so well and loved so deeply. It's perhaps one of the hardest things you'll ever do in this life. Death is a reality which touches each of us. It's a painful reality. It's real and it's inevitable. It will happen to everyone. But today, we confess the comfort of living in the victory of the risen Christ. We confess Jesus has conquered death. When he was on earth, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I have authority to lay my life down, and I have authority to take it up again. Boys and girls, you remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead. Lazarus was raised by Jesus' power. It wasn't his own power, and he would die again. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life, so he has the power over death. 
Destroy this temple, he said, and in three days I will raise it up. I will raise it. Jesus was raised by his own power because he is stronger than death. He is the victor over it. This is the power of Jesus' resurrection. He has overcome death. What no man could do, he has done. The universal effects of the fall into sin when death came into the world, Jesus has overcome that and he is victorious over death. And this gives us real hope in the, in the face of death. When we, do, when we go to a funeral, we, we do more than console and comfort. We also make a confession in the resurrection. We confess that we believe in a risen Christ. We confess that our Savior is alive, that by his resurrection he has overcome death. And that gives us real hope because we know that death is not the end. It does not have the final word. What does it really mean, though, that he is the victor over death? What does it mean for us? Because we still die. What does it change for us? Well, the Catechism says he has overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness that he had obtained for us by his death. We need to take a step back here for a second. To understand Jesus' resurrection... We need to understand what sort of death he arose from. Because if Jesus had died the same death that all of us die, his resurrection would have been great for him, but it would have meant nothing for us. But it's the death of Jesus that makes the resurrection so meaningful. Because Jesus did not die a normal death. Maybe you were here last week and you heard about the death of Jesus as we heard about what it was like for him on the cross. On the cross, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. God poured out on him all of his anger against the sin of the world. And and in his love, Jesus hung there on the cross and drank every last one of those dregs right until he died. He didn't die an ordinary death, but he died bearing the curse of sin. Maybe you remember this curse. In the Garden of Eden, God said to man, "If in the day you eat this fruit, in the day that you rebel against my commands, in the day that you sin, you will surely die. And that's what happened. Man sinned. And this was the curse that hung over man. This was the curse that Jesus bore on the cross from God, the curse of death. Sin brought death, and this was the curse that Jesus bore on the cross. And that also helps us to understand his resurrection. Because it was this death that Jesus conquered. Death could not hold him, but more than that, sin could not hold him. The curse of sin could not hold him. Jesus had borne the curse, and his resurrection was the proof. It was the evidence that he had removed the curse from sin. The evidence that he drank every last one of those dregs from that cup. And so, friends, Jesus' resurrection gives us the confidence that he has conquered our sin, that he has borne the curse for us. His resurrection is the proof that God has forgiven all of our sins. His resurrection is the evidence that Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. He has defeated death because he has defeated the cause of death, sin. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 
that if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Because Christ has been raised. Paul says in verse 20, he's, Paul is confident of this truth, but now Christ is risen from the dead. He is alive, and that proves that he has won the victory over sin. God has accepted his death as a satisfaction for our sins. His resurrection, it's proof, it's evidence that the curse of sin is gone. The Catechism says that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Now, this righteousness is actually more than forgiveness of sins. Because we go from guilty to not guilty, but even more than that, we go to righteous. The perfect life of Christ, his active obedience, how he always lived a righteous life, he fulfilled all the obedience of God's commands, that life is given to us. That life is credited to us as if we had lived that perfect life. God sees us as righteous. And so this is the first benefit of the resurrection. It is proof that we are righteous before God. God looks at us and he says, you are righteous in Christ. We are no longer in our sins. And yet at the same time, we realize that we still struggle with sin in this life. So in our second point, we'll see how his victory gives us new life. Because while we make this confession that, that Christ has won the victory over sin and death, we also confess that we're in a spiritual war. We still need to fight against sin and death, even though Christ has won the final victory. We struggle for our speech to be with grace and seasoned with salt. We struggle for our tongues to, to build each other up. We struggle to maintain positive habits of self-control. We struggle to renew our minds with thoughts that are pure and, and lovely and excellent and worthy of praise. We're still fighting a spiritual war. And how often don't we sometimes get the feeling that, that we're on our own? as we fight this war, we tend to think that God has forgiven all our sins and, and that one day, far in the future, we'll enjoy eternal life. But right now, right here, I just need to try a bit harder. I need to make the best of it myself. Sometimes we can get that feeling, that tendency. Well, for all of us then, believing in the resurrection is good news because living this new life of grace is not something we need to do on our own, but we have help and is the best kind of help that we could ever desire because God gives us His power. God gives us the power of the resurrected Lord Jesus through His Spirit. Paul prays for the Ephesians in, in Ephesians chapter 1 that they would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. And then he later he says that this same power raised Jesus from the dead. This is the power of God which is available for us believers. Romans 6, we read from that earlier, it says in verse 5, that if we've been united in his death, we shall also be united with him in his resurrection. Romans, Romans 6 is about the wonderful union that we have with Christ. So when Christ died on that cross, part of us also died on the cross. 
You remember last week we heard in the sermon that when he suffered on the cross, he drank the cup of God's wrath for my sin. It was my sin that held him there. And so my sin was crucified on that cross. Back in Lord's Day 16, in question and answer 43, it says, through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified. And now we also confess here in Lord's Day 17 that by the power of his resurrection, we are raised to a new life. Ephesians 2 says that God, because of his great love, made us alive together with Christ when, res- when Jesus rose from the dead. Just think about how much power was needed for that miracle to happen. The power that enabled him to breathe. The power that sent blood rushing through his veins. The power that enabled his muscles to start moving again. This is the same power that works new life in us. We're joined to Christ in his resurrection. That means that the resurrection power of Christ is in us. And so it's not in our own strength that we try and change our thinking to become more Christ-centered. It's not in our own strength that we try to be more self-controlled with our money or our sexuality. If it was in our own strength, well, there's a danger that we'd become self-righteous, that we would think we can do it on our own, that we can make it without Christ. No, it's by His power. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. And further, if we try to do in our own strength, what would happen when we fail? When instead of kind words of grace, then suddenly harsh comments of criticism fly out of our mouths? Or when instead of our sexuality being characterized by self-control, we fall prey to a lustful thought or action? When instead of patience with our children, we fly off the handle? You know, if we, were, if we were fighting the battle in our own strength, we would so very often be discouraged because we do fly off the handle and, and our lives are just so far from the perfection that God requires. Well, the good news of the resurrection is that we do not fight this battle in our own strength and that God gives us the strength from day to day. We are united to a risen Christ who gives us his Holy Spirit, and by his power we are raised to a new life. You notice the wording there, it says we are raised. We do not raise ourselves up, but it's a process which is worked in us by his power. This is a miracle, brothers and sisters. In fact, the the Canons of Dort says this miracle is not inferior to the resurrection from the dead or the creation of the world. That's how great this miracle is, that God works new life in us. Isn't that amazing? Well, the fact that God is working in us, does this make us lazy? Since God is doing the work, there's nothing left for us to do? No, of course not. Once we have tasted life, we don't want anything to do with death. That's what Paul says in Romans 6, 2. How can we who died to sin still live in it? No, when we know that God is at work in us, then we strive being reminded of his grace day after day and never stopping to be renewed more and more after his image. And finally, we'll see that his victory assures us of our final victory. The third benefit 
of Christ's resurrection is that it is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Because there is more than, than just this life. And perhaps sometimes we, we doubt that. All we see is this life that, that we now live. It's very easy for us to become focused on, on the, the moment in time in which we live. We don't see anything of the next life, and, and so we have questions about it. We might even have doubts about it. Perhaps we can also worry about our own death. What's going to happen when I close my eyes for the last time? There's a lot of unknown, and, and there is also uncertainty and anxiety. Death is the last sting. But in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that Christ's resurrection proves to us that the best is yet to come. Paul uses the language of, of gardening. He says that Christ's resurrection is the first fruits. Now, boys and girls, maybe you've picked tomatoes from your garden once. And the first time you pick tomatoes, tomatoes, maybe, <laughs> they're called the first fruits, the first ones. When you pick the first ones, you can be sure that there are going to be more coming. And in the same way, Christ was the first one to rise from the dead. But there will also be more resurrections. In fact, there will be a great resurrection when everybody will rise. And then, then we will have a complete and a final victory over death. So while our bodies now die, this is not, this is not permanent. But death for us is an entrance into eternal life with God. And then we'll experience fullness of life with Jesus. Then we'll have the complete victory over death and over the effects of sin. Jesus' victory is more than the victory of one man over death, but it is the victory of all who believe in him. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And brothers and sisters, when we go to a funeral, we can confess this truth. We comfort each other, we console each other, and we also make this confession. We confess that Christ is risen, that he is still alive, that he has won the victory over death, and that one day we too will live with him forever in this complete victory. While now death has the final sting, yet it cannot hold us, because Christ has risen and so will we. His victory is proof of our final victory. Romans 8 verse 30, we confess that those whom God predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He doesn't just stop after justifying us. But no, he will glorify us. The work that he has begun in us, he will complete. He will glorify us. And that is the life that we can look forward to with him. And so coming here this afternoon, brothers and sisters, in the light of Jesus' resurrection, we can confess that what we're doing here is not a waste of time, but instead it makes the most sense for us to do, to be here worshipping our risen and ascended Lord, because we live in the hope of Jesus' resurrection, which we know is certain. And so now we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who, for our sakes, died and was raised again. 1 Corinthians 5 and as we dedicate our lives living for our Savior, the power of Christ coming to life is also at work in us. 
And finally, his resurrection is proof that one day we too will rise from the dead victorious. Christ has fought the fight, the battle he has won. Where, O death, is now your sting? Jesus Christ alone is king. Christ has risen. Hallelujah. Amen.